folks, good evening. You're tuned in to CFRC 11.9 FM, CFRC.ca. My name is Rue. I'm here hosting Yellow Bridge Road, as I do each week, Sundays, 8 to 9.30 p.m. Um, except we're really chilling on air today because um, we won't be able to make it tonight, unfortunately. But that also means that I'm covering a whole extra half hour for him. So I'm here 8 to 10 with you and we've got great music coming up on the show. Um, I mean, we started it off with just such a staple classic of the zero sort of UK indie rock scene, right? Franz Ferdinand, Know You Girls. I just feel like every time I start off the show with one of these songs, you just must know what's coming up next. It can be nothing but CFRC's very own British and Irish music show. Starting off today with Know You Girls, Franz Ferdinand, that's on an album that, um, I'm trying to do the maths on this really quickly in my head, came out something like 15 years ago now. It's on tonight, Franz Ferdinand, the third album that came out two days ago, but in 2009, the 26th of January. And I just thought it was a great excuse to bring back some Franz Ferdinand bangers on air. I mean, they always treated their shows like they were meant to be a night out. And I mean, I was having a little party right here in the studio, so... Mission accomplished, very much so. What an absolute cracker of a song to, to kick off tonight's show. Um, we have a lot of stuff coming on the show tonight. Um, big news in British music, obviously, is that the Brit Award nominations have come out. The law, the short list of about ten to f- five to ten acts, depending on the category, for um, the best music in the country in the last year. And, you know, the Brits are the most prestigious awards in British music um, uh, amongst all the others. And they're kind of an indicator of success if you want, if, if you believe in awards to mean anything. But these ones are based on actual like chart success and things like that. So if there was an award that was supposed to signify success, Brit Awards. So obviously the biggest night in British music, we are going to be talking about it as CFRC's British music show. And, uh, you know, just more cool stuff. Um, uh, to give you some background, a few weeks ago now, I did talk to an incredible musician who's who lives right here in, in Montreal, nearby. Uh, his name is Chris Barry. And if you don't know, he was the frontman of uh, a few pretty pioneering Montreal bands. One, a Montreal punk band, possibly the first ever punk band in Montreal back in the sort of late 70s. They were called the 222s. And he went on to front... Uh, a new wave, really glam-looking band called uh, 39 Steps, who are also pretty revolutionary in their own right. And, you know, he he went to all sorts of cool places and, you know, has all these incredible stories to tell. And I got to talk to him a couple of weeks ago, and we just talked so much that I feel like, firstly, for all the, all the things that he was telling us about and all the names and the stories and the places... I just feel like we need, I need to space them out just so that I can absorb them all, you know, just because they're such incredible stories. So we we talked to him last week. Uh, I mean, we had some clips from the sh- from the the interview last week, and we'll have some more this week. And uh, this this week's is pretty explosive. So stick around for all of that. That's all the cool stuff we're going to have on the show coming up. Um, but we're we're going to kick it off with. Some more big names, you know, just uh, we'll start off big and then we'll we'll give you all the best new music that you need to be hearing over the show and all the new artists and the new albums coming out that you would really benefit from knowing if you're into British music. But we're going to start off with a reunion. The Zootons are back. 
um, sort of, um, I mean, they were an interesting band, always very kind of indie, but then also with uh, a touch, a touch of, um, uh, a touch of sort of, um, I'm trying to remember, uh, Abby Harding's instrument. I think it was a saxophone. It's been a little while since I've thought about them, but uh, yes, uh, the band are now back as three members. Dave, um, Dave, Sean, and Abby Harding, uh, and saxophone, it was indeed. So the three of them are back, and they've put out some really funky new music, just keeping in the vein of all the stuff of the great Franz Ferdinand song that we heard just, just now. They have a new single called Creeping on the Dance Floor. It's uh, their comeback. First new album is going to be coming out first in 16 years. It's going to be called... Uh, uh, the song is Creeping on the Dance Floor, and... Um, what is the new album called? The Big Decider. That's coming out at the end of April. And uh, you'll be able to, you can really just hear it in the track, produced by um, Nile Rogers. And I think where all this began to kick off was a few years ago when we, we were just sort of coming out of lockdown. They said that they were supporting Nile Rogers on a single date, a single UK show way back when. And then it just it just kind of snowballed from there, and then he produced their album. But he isn't the only producer on the album. Ian Brody of the Lightning Seeds is also on there, who has produced their albums uh, for a long time. So you know, it's a it's a return to form, and also now Rogers. I mean, it's dancey. What's not to like? The album, The Big Decider, 26th April, that's going to be coming out. And uh, Dave McCabe says, uh, We were creeping on the dance floor during lockdown when Abby moved into the house and we were all living together in our own little bubble. But I was thinking, because we were all trapped in the house and I was singing, to, singing, singing it onto my phone, just the melody and some of the words to keep the noise down, when we, got, when we uh, got let loose and recorded it with the band, it had great energy. It's one of those songs you want to hear again as soon as it's finished. That's always a good sign. So that's something we're looking forward to. And then after that, we're going to we're gonna change the mood a little bit. It's still going to remain sort of fun and pop, but uh, in a very different direction. Griff Reese's album is finally out. Sadness Sets Me Free. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while. You might remember back in October when... Uh, Griff came on tour across North America, but with uh, specifically a stop in Toronto, uh, supporting This Is The Kid, Cole, Folk Rock, Indie Rock Band, who are also just really, really good live, and they bring such great energy, and, you know, were also very sweet to me. Um, but Griff, his, he now has his album out, Sadness Has Me Free, recorded in just three days in France, which is absolutely incredible. And it's sort of, um, it's it's classic Griff Reese, you know, upbeat, really catchy pop uh, pop music and combine that with sort of the most direct and depressing lyrics that you can find out there. I think this album of his might actually kill me. It's, it's from the singles that we had so far, super direct, super to the point. He does not hold back and it's a very strong record for it. Even just in, in, in the titles of the songs, the song that we're going to be listening to right now is called they sold my home to build a skyscraper. And, you know, this, that's exactly how it begins. They sold my home to build a skyscraper. They floored my people under a sand scraper, uh, uh, under sandpaper. It's, oh my God. So we'll listen to that. Uh, Griff's album, obviously, on his Bandcamp page, Griff Reese, spelled G-R-U-F-F-R-H-Y-S.bandcamp.com. You're going to want to go and check out the whole thing. Um, he has so far said that he's going to the U.S. on tour. Um 
there's no when we spoke he did say there's no reason why there shouldn't be a canadian date so we're still going to keep our eyes, eyes peeled for all of that but let's listen to some music and then we'll come back creeping on the dance floor zootons here on cfrc skyscraper when i first said we had a little bit of music brand new music from the zootons who put out just such a funky track but also it was kind of almost psychedelic in the beginning creeping on the dance floor so that uh, zootons and, and some griffries and uh now we have some brand new brand new albums that have just landed just this week um courting have their brand new album new last name it's been a very theatrical concept and we've we've kept hearing about this you know about how Courting's new album was half a play half an album and now they've called it their second debut album if anything you know it's it's their second album it's um to be treated with almost a theme running under it and uh we are we are taking out a little slice from from the play and sort of watching a clip of it if you will we're going to be listening to their song The Wedding which sort of comes in the middle of the album. Um uh I I don't know I I would really love to know more about about this whole the whole flow of this play, you know. The band all they've said about it uh so far is that it's a theatrical play within an album. There's a lot going on. It can be enjoyed as an album, but there are characters, acts, stage directions, etc. Listeners can decide on the narrative themselves, but we want them to get lost in it. And you know, this is certainly one of the locations, the wedding. Um uh they say that the wedding is the seventh of the of new last name uh, new last name with the overall narrative starting to come to its conclusion. So we're picking you up right in the middle and just dropping you in there. Our protagonist appears to have come to terms with everything and looks back with misty eyes. So we're going to be listening to that um it's really I mean so I've been following Courting since sort of the the David Burns Bad Side days the early singles the pop shop days and the the evolution of this band to go from being you know a uh, a Liverpool indie band sort of in that almost post punk almost indie kind of crossover range to just standing out as um as this really unique sounding band who are uh unwilling uh, who are um unafraid of blending you know a bit of theater a bit of surrealism and you know taking it uh taking it out there to its extremes and throwing in a bit of hyperpop for good measure it's it's all there so that's really exciting to see then uh another cool band who've just put out a debut album in fact is new dad band from ireland uh their debut album was called uh, uh madra and it's i mean it's a sort of dream poppy slightly shoegazy kind of grungy and just barefaced openly honest and it's it's a really strong album for how you know it brings together these almost distant elements with pretty close up close and personable stuff coming from uh singer Julie Dawson so we're going uh, so we're going to be listening to um the song sickly sweet of the album and you can find the rest of the album at newdadofficial.bandcamp.com um and then what else for a bit of pillow queens 
also in a similar sort of northern UK slash further out west into Ireland uh, set. We'll go over to Dublin and we'll listen to some new music from Pillow Queens. Um, they've, I mean, they had a great, uh, they had a great time with their first two albums, and now the third one is on its way. It's going to be called Name Your Sorrow, and we have the first single from the album right now. It's called Gone. They say that um, it's their first as a group at their most vulnerable, yet um, self-assured as they explore themes of queerness, insecurity, desire, heartbreak, as well as positivity and strength that can grow from pain. And uh, lead guitarist and singer Kathy McGuinness, she's called the album one of intensity, loneliness and love. It's about stages of love, loss, grief and how they can all exist uh, alongside one another Intertwined, messy, beautiful, how love and loss can coexist. They are also on Bandcamp, do look them up, Pillow Queens. And then lastly, something new from Grace Petrie, who's just put out a single called uh, Start Again. And um, uh, I mean, this is her first work in a little while. And uh, she's also on Bandcamp, so do go check that out. I don't have the links in front of me today, unfortunately. So we're just kind of flying with this. It's been a slightly busy week, but rest assured, the music is great. So do go look up Grace Petrie online. We're going to start off with listening to Courting with their song The Wedding as we join them in the middle of this surrealist um, play of theirs. Folks, Pillow Queens, brand new song, Gone. That's a very interesting direction change from Pillow Queens, who until the last album has have almost been sort of, you know, like dream pop shoegazy. Whereas this one is almost like industrial shoegaze. And it's uh, it's a really interesting sound. Um, it's an interesting change of direction from the Dublin post-punk band. Uh, we had music on the last set from Courting, The Wedding, as we joined them in the middle of their play album if you will uh new last name new dad brand new stuff from their album madra that also just came out song called sickly sweet and it's uh it's kind of it's shiny on the outside but it has this really tough gritty almost underbelly to it doesn't it and then pillow queens um we're going to be listening to some more new releases brand new stuff that's just come out um on the next set as well we have a um, new song from Grace Petrie, like I said. Uh, it's called uh, Start Again. Uh, and you can, uh, and she has a new album coming out as well. Um, the album is going to be called... Oh my goodness, I had it right in front of me. So it's it's been a long week and I'm basically just kind of regrouping. But uh, the album is coming out in May. It's called Build Something Better. And uh, this is one of the songs that we have on it. It's a classic Grace Petrie song. And uh, it's called Start Again. And then we have uh, brand new music also from Arab Strap. Um, they have a new album coming out. And, you know, the album title, the album artwork, I'm, I'm beginning to see a bit of a theme between the album artworks that they've been putting out of late. This album, and I'm going to try and make this radio friendly, is called I'm Totally Fine With It. And then there's an emoji of a thumbs up. Don't give an F anymore. Another thumbs up. And then the artwork is just this message sent this uh this message 
sent as a text message, or rather as a WhatsApp message sent by Arab Strap. Um, just left on read, I guess. Uh, and that's the album cover. And in the background, there's just this like almost classical painting of, uh, how do I describe it? Um, a woman being shot in the head with a celestial laser, I suppose is how I can describe it, holding pearls as, as she falls down. It's like, it's a classic painting almost. And what I love, and I love this, this juxtaposition of the sort of the old and the new, because uh, their, their last full-length album that came out, which was called As Days Get Dark, 2021, also featured a classic painting, but uh, it was um, a classic painting as a photograph opened up on a MacBook. So you could see like the Mac window and a background of sort of a dark house and a couple of pictures behind it as well. And just this, uh, this, uh, this uh, painting open on a laptop of uh, a deity and two little cupids just springing out from, from her side. But all of this very classical stuff is juxtaposed with being on a Mac screen. I, I just love it. It's a similar thing this time as well, where it's a text message on this cosmic paint, classical painting. Uh, I'm totally fine with it. Thumbs up. Don't give an F anymore. Thumbs up. And we've got the first single that's uh, just come out from the album. The album is going to be coming out uh, in uh, the beginning of May, 10th May. This particular song is called Bliss. And it's um, it's a bit more uh, uh, sort of, I mean, there's, there's a synth bass under it that slightly surprised me. But, you know, Classic Arab Strap is a really, really good song. And uh, then we're just sort of taking the dancey themes and running with it. We've got some new music from Yard Act. We make hits. Um, and uh, I, I don't know, I've probably played this song before. I talk about it a lot. It's just uh, them coming to the realization that they do make hits. They are really trying their best to move away from being sort of pigeonholed as a post-punk band. I feel like a lot of bands had the exact same problem where there was a boost, uh, a boom of sort of uh, post-punk between, I would say... 2015, 16 sort of post idols up to maybe about the point where bands like Shame and Fantasy DC burst through. And then I think as soon as that happened and as soon as that was given a little room to just breathe, everyone, including all the bands in question who I just mentioned, suddenly took a step back and were like, okay, do you know what? We don't want to be associated with this label anymore. We don't want to be associated, pigeonholed into being a post-punk band. You know, the spoken word, very specific kind of guitars uh, sound. And a lot of them just moved away from it. Some moved into more theatrical stuff. Some moved into poppier sounds. Yard actor moving into making dance hits. And uh, I was talking to Weave, who uh, is not going to be here doing his show tonight. So I'm covering the first half hour of his show. So I'm here until 10 o'clock with you. But Weave said that this particular song had a very LCD sound system vibe to it. And you can definitely hear it. You can definitely hear it. So we'll listen to a bit of Yard Act. And we'll listen to a brand new song by an artist called... Um, oh no, we'll listen to these three and then... We'll come back and uh, we'll slowly, slowly reveal what's coming up next. Um, but Grace Petrie, you can find her at gracepetrie.bandcamp.com, arabstrap at arabstrapband.bandcamp.com. Let's listen to some music. Grace Petrie, start again, right here on CFRC. When you're on your knees, and when all you see is the world just fall apart again. 
Hello, folks. A little bit of Sabata, cool new artist uh, out of London. Uh, sort of psychedelic, sort of indie rock, um, sort of hard rock in the style, taking from bands like uh, Van Halen. And we're gonna have a little bit of crank, cr- crank going into the next set, and then watch your phone lines because there might be something coming up which we'll come back and we'll talk all about. Here on CFRC, stay with us. little bit of Grove as we're going into the next set, folks. Just to remind you very quickly of what we heard as we'll, we'll go into and properly listen to this Grove tra- track. Uh, we had a bit of Grace Petrie, some Arab Strap, some Yard Act, what I'd said we'd have. And then I just threw in a little bit more music just because it was flowing so well. Like I said, we had some new music from a London artist called Sabata and this is uh, a brand new rock and roll song uh, of his. Um, uh, and there's a whole album of it if you liked what you heard over there. The album is, um, the, the song that we heard is called Get Over Yourself. And the album, uh, which just came out just last week, is called uh, How to Get Even. And um, you can find it everywhere and wherever you like. It's also up on Bandcamp. S-A-B-A-T-T-A. Bandcamp.com. And then we had a little bit of the Welsh band Crink or Crank. um, C-R-I-N-C. And they had a brand new song called Krakach. And um, that was brand new released by them. We are listening to a little bit of Grove and we will properly listen to this song. It's uh, a collaborative song again. Grove and El Pac, small song, uh, uh, a song called Small to- uh, Talk Small. And after we're back, we may be having a guest on the line and we're going to be talking all about the biggest night in British music, the Brit Awards. So stay tuned for all of that and more. This is Talk Small by Grove and El Pac. back uh, we just listened to a little bit of Park and Grove brand new collaborative song called uh, Talk Small and now like I said like I did promise uh, we are going to be talking all about nothing but the Brit, Brit Awards which uh, have announced their nominations just this week and it's a very interesting list and because I could go mad just dissecting it all by myself I do have a little help on the line joining me to talk all about this. Uh, uh, my co-host from Indie Wake Up Call on Thursdays, Hayden's on the line. Hello. Hey, Ru. Hey, we've got you on the line. This is perfect. So uh, did you get a chance to actually look at uh, the nominations? Because I know I kind of just threw you into the deep end here. Like I texted you about an hour ago saying, hey, would you like to come on and talk about the Brit Awards? Because, you know, I suddenly have an extra half hour. And yeah, well, we're here. I we do this. I had heard about Ray getting uh, sort of sweeping right through it. That was my first contact with it. And then I went and uh, took a look at all the nominations. Now, I'm not quite as tapped in with the British music world as you are, but I did recognize quite a few of what's going on here, and I've listened to a few of these albums and songs and things. So uh, there's lots to talk about going on here. There's a lot to talk about, but, I mean, you mentioned Ray. Let's start off with talking about Ray, yeah. because yeah. this has been, like, it's been Ray's year, to be honest. Absolutely, yeah. 
like from all the the acclaim, the number one albums, Glastonbury, all the sort of big the, uh, the big accolades that have been coming in for her. The song uh, that was nominated for, I think it was best single of uh, best single, best British single of the year or something. Uh, it's been yeah. played so much. Escapism. Yeah. And she yeah, swept the nominations. It's it's reminding me of um, Billie Eilish at that. What was it? The twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen Grammys when she just sort of swept oh, yeah. right through. Like it's reminding me of something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. She's kind of like. Uh, she has a lot of crossover appeal, like people love her internationally and in Britain, and she's seems to be liked by people of all ages, like she has sort of a classic appeal and style. I know people always throw around Amy Winehouse with her, um, it I don't is, know. This is true, I, I, it also just looks like sometimes with the eye makeup and everything, she does style herself a yeah. little bit after that. I was talking to you about her New Year's performance on the BBC and how that was really, you could really, really see it there, because she's got the full... Uh, jazz band like behind her there mm -hmm. that's also I think why it worked so well for her at Glastonbury because you bring out the full band yeah but yeah. Uh, she swept the nominations so seven nominations in a single year that's a record the previous record was uh, sort of tied with two artists who'd um, who'd had six nominations in a single year but uh, Ray has been nominated for Almost everything. Well, Best British Album of the Year with My 21st Century Blues. She's there in uh, British Artist of the Year. She's there in New Artist. Her song that we just talked about, uh, Escapism, is also there in Song of the Year. She is in um, Best... Um, R&B uh, Act. R&B Act. Yeah. And it's like seven nominations in all. It's I should say, um, being nominated for Best New Artist and Best Artist, is an interesting uh, combination there, huh? Yeah, and it, I think that also speaks to something that's pretty... Uh, well, I don't know if it's unique, but it is uh, almost uh, a defining feature of Ray. The fact that she's like been in the industry for a little while, but she, the way her label held her back from putting out her album, and this was getting to a point of distress for her, and then when she was finally able to like break out of her contract and go on to an ind independent label, and has still managed to have so much success because like let's not forget the brits unlike the mercuries which are all like it's about artistic talent and integrity blah blah blah, blah. the brits are actually only uh, considered amongst artists who've had an album on the top 40 charts like either an album on the top 40s or two singles in the top 20 that's the eligibility criteria anytime in the last right. one year like december to oh. december i should mention that ray was my ray 21st century blues was my pick for the uh for the uh, Mercury Prize. I was incorrect about that, but she's getting her, her flowers here. Yeah, I think she was destined for, for the bigger awards because, like, the Mercury's are almost like the indie counterpart. This is the industry award. Yeah. I think uh, something that I've noticed with some of these award shows is that if somebody is sort of cleaning up in the nominations like this and they got the new artist, it's almost guaranteed that she'll win the new artist category. I mean, how could she not oh, if she's sure. getting enough love on the rest of the categories? I mean, uh, there were a couple of other uh, clean sweeps. I mean, there's one award that gets uh, announced a little bit ahead of the main uh, nominees coming out, and that's like the best emerging artist one. Clean sweep, that one was the last dinner party. Mm -hmm. Who also, I mean, I've, I've got them. We might we might end up playing them. Th them as well. What a year they've had. Similarly, just astronomical rise. 
I mean, if you listen to any wake-up call, you don't need to hear any more about them. Yeah, it's but, true. Um, and also, in the time between uh, the last indie wake-up call that we had and now, which is like three and a half days' time, the yeah. the tour tickets for uh, Lost in a Party's North America shows went on sale. Canada, well, or at least Eastern, the Eastern side, Toronto and Montreal, sold out within hours of tickets going on sale. Tickets went on sale at 10 o'clock. By about 12.30, we're getting emails saying they've been upgraded from a 600-capacity venue in Toronto to the Queen Elizabeth Theatre, 3,000 people, and Montreal is completely sold out. Yeah, I mean, like you said, they've built this brand off of the hype of their live show, so it makes sense that the live show would sell so well immediately. I know, but it's also crazy because no one outside of the UK has been able to see the live shows yet. But they've heard about it, and, and, and I mean, those clips, like, they... You know, they they do well in clips of these uh, the band like a uh, the last dinner party just because their song is very catchy and if you see the sort of dancing and energy that they have like it it builds hype even if people haven't been able to see it or known someone that's seen it. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are going off of the the online kind of catchiness, the the novelty of like their dressing sense and everything, everything like that. Like it's a full experience, full package with them. Yeah. I want to hear your thoughts on the album of the year. Um, five nominees in that category. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Blur, J-Hus, Little Sims, Ray, and Young Fathers. Do you have a pick among those? It's so hard to say. I think it's going to be Little Sims. I mean, yeah. I want yeah. to think it's going to be... Just because the album, No Thank You, came out with zero press. And this is an yeah. industry award that takes into account success, right? This album yeah. had zero press. There was no warning before it came out. It just dropped. And it's one of yeah. the albums of the year. Yeah, and and it's a great album as well. I mean, Little Sims is kind of in a in a lane of her own. It feels like she's not participating in the sort of like wider industry of of hip hop or pop music in general. Like she's just sort of doing her own thing, and uh, it really comes across in her artistry. And I think that also makes it make perfect sense that if you'll remember from sort of a month ago, she was also a part of Salt, who are another one of the nominees for, yeah. um, for um, I think, Best yeah. R&B. Yeah. I mean, people... The, the, the other thing that Cleo Soul is also a nominee in Cleo that same category. Also, kind of nominated twice, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, hours after the, the Salt London show, the one that was this huge... Um, show and like people before the show were sort of questioning why why should it be justified to spend a hundred quid on their show in a smaller venue and then they went in and they were like this is so like techno futuristic and then it's nostalgic and there's this cultural connect and then it was this mix of like r&b and soul and so many like big names on that list and i think it was also the first time that a lot of people saw the members of Salt on stage and they instantly called it the best show of the year. Yeah. Yeah, just like you're talking about, hype around the live show does a lot for artists these days. Mm-hmm. Should we listen to some of the music we talked about and then we'll come back and we'll talk some more? I think we should. Okay, so we'll start with Ray Escapism just because it's been the song of the year. Absolutely. Sleezing and teasing, I'm sitting on him. Dripping on it. We're back on air. Hello, here we are. 
सेफासी वन वन पॉइंट नाइन एफ एम वी हैव बिन टॉकिंग अबाउट द ब्रिट नॉमिनी ब्रिट नॉमिनेशन बिकॉज दे जस्ट ड्रॉप्ट दिस वीक वी हर अल बिट म्यूजिक फ्राम रे गरेलाज द लास्ट डिनर पार्टी ऑल जस्ट आर्टिस्ट हुव हैड सच अ मोन्यूमेंटल राइज टू सक्सेस एंड यू नो वी बिन टॉकिंग अबाउट सम ऑफ द सॉन्ग्स ऑफ द ईयर हेडन स्टिल ऑन द लाइन विद मी एंड वी आर टॉकिंग अबाउट ऑल द बेस्ट न्यू रिलीज इज सॉरी नो आई एम सेंग दैट ऑलमोस्ट ऑन आवर पायलट वी आर टॉकिंग अबाउट द ब्रिट नॉमिनीज एंड वी आर टॉकिंग अबाउट डेव एंड सेंट्रल सी बिकॉज सेंट्रल सी एज हैड सच अ ईयर आई मीन नो बडी इज बिन एबल टू शॉट अप अबाउट हाउ ही सोट ऑफ मेकिंग ऑलमोस्ट ब्रिटिश रैप पॉपुलर इन Uh, a pairing to Drake almost yeah yeah like drake is uh, the the canadian ambassador and he's like bringing british rap to the us yeah and they the two of them actually got together this year as well drake and central sea they had a viral sort of freestyle together so they're not unaware of each other yeah and um i mean central sea also i think was he at coachella uh, last year uh that sounds possible I'm not sure though off the top of my head. There's some festival that I that is not coming to the top of my head but he went down really well for a, for a British artist. You know, he's kind of got this like uh this interesting attitude of like he's just sort of going ahead and doing it his own way. He doesn't he, he seems to intentionally not care about these sort of things industry things. I I sent you a link to it um of his uh, award show acceptance speech that I was just thinking of seeing him nominated in all these categories where he just sort of goes up on stage and just he's wearing a jacket like he just came in off the street and he's like casually grabs the award and says yeah yeah I don't really care about awards oh yeah and it's mo- sort of like at the mobo awards which is basically yeah. like uh, the award for like uh, black music in in britain yeah i thought it was kind of a it's kind of a funny emblematic moment of his attitude so if he wins at the brit i wonder what his uh, what is people be like <laughs> we'll be watching it just for the visual element of it <laughs> yeah and we were also talking about blood just because they're splattered across a bunch of categories as well best album are, yeah. best artist because i mean i mean they had a they had a very emotional comeback didn't they yeah i mean they're kind of a beloved group and very uk like i don't think they have so much Like gorillas are very well known outside the UK but blur I don't know if as much like Yeah no I mean their whole thing was that they weren't able to break America the way Oasis were and I know that that's always bothered Damon a little bit at least but it's but just like But he got vindicated with gorillas that right He did I I wonder if he still thinks about the blur aspect though but you know they're a British institution like you said Yeah they, It's sort of and they have they have a long history at the Brits. They were there like they won in 95 when it was like park life fever. Uh, 94 95 going forward. And then they lost out in 96 to Oasis and that was a very very watched iconic moment sort of the battle of Britpop kind of thing that everyone pounced on. But yeah. you know right now they are the ones who remain and they've been nominated all over the board. Those Wembley shows I feel like that's a reason why, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would not be surprised in the slightest to see them take home the British group uh, award here. Mm-hmm. Like a hundred and eighty thousand tickets. That was two nights at Wembley, ninety thousand. At least one night was sold out, and you know all the pictures and videos you saw from it were just so, so like cheerful, and everybody's kind of coming together and all that stuff. 
And just FYI for our listeners, we do have some Olivia Dean playing in the background because she's also nominated first album, debut album. Yeah. I mean, that's the power of band coming back after a long time, those big sold-out shows. Mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, we've had a lot of newcomers as well. Like I was just saying, Olivia Dean. Um, but if you look at the, the new artist category, um, which I'm trying to pull up really quickly, but it's... Yeah. Uh, it's Ray, it's Olivia Dean, it's Pink Pantheris. Yusuf Days and uh, Mahalia. Mm-hmm. All really cool artists. I mean, we're, we're listening to some Mahalia in the background as well right now, just as we speak. Um, Pink Pantheris obviously had a big year. Yeah, big year in small doses. Yes. <laughs> and she, I mean, I've seen a few interviews with her somewhat recently where she's talked about sort of being interested in stepping away from actually being a performer and because writing is really her passion with music, not so much the performing and singing. That's it's interesting. Kind of That's an interesting yeah. thing because, like, no one has really been able to do that successfully since the Beatles. And it kind of adds to, like, the funniness of her where she goes up on stage with the bag in her hand and it's sort of all casual. And then she gets off stage and goes in the interview and says, yeah, I don't really, I don't really love performing that much. <laughs> it's like, it's not a persona she's putting on. She really does just walk right up on stage and sing her little viral song and then doesn't. And then kept off. <laughs> Would love so to see her funny. walk on stage with her bag to pick up the the most prestigious award in British music as well. It would be an amazing moment to see her pick up a Brit and just put it right in that handbag and walk off stage. Amazing. And then J Huss as well. J Huss has had a big year. His album was not only Mercury nominated, but now uh, Beautiful and Brutal Yard also nominated for British Album of the Year. Song also. Uh, I mean, um, his song. Um, I think it was the one with Drake, who told you, also nominated for uh, Best Song of the Year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these award shows like the Grammys and the Brits, like, they sometimes have trouble showing love to uh, hip-hop, but... Not this I year. Don't know. Yeah, this year yeah. has really covered a lot of bases. That would be a cool one to see, that or Little Sims. It would be cool to see them take home the, uh, the album yeah. of the year. After, I mean, Little Sims won the Mercury's, and I think it's, it's yeah. time for the like major awards to also acknowledge her yeah i agree so do we have any predictions do we have uh, i mean i think you and i can both agree ray is definitely going to win some yeah i when think ray is a lot that, that's my prediction off of that yeah when you're nominated um, for seven you're gonna win some yeah exactly um, some of the other ones is hard to pick out i mean song of the year i have i haven't listened to all of these songs there's a lot in that category um, and also, what are the criteria? Like, do you go for the most yeah. viral song? Do you go for the one that's best written? Yeah, it's tough. Um, I would love to see Lil Sims. I think I'm, I'm putting my money on Lil Sims for the album of the year. Maybe it's special thinking, but I think that one uh, for album of the year because I really enjoyed that album this year. Okay, I mean, I agree with you. I would also like to see Lil Sims go out with album of the year. Um, should we finish today with um, the the Dave song, Dave and Central Sea Sprinter? I think so. I mean, it's a viral across the Atlantic hit, which yeah. doesn't happen too much for British hip hop, which makes it feel like a special moment. So I guess we all come together for this one. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll go out with that. Well, thanks so much for calling in and helping me analyze everything that's been going on. Oh, uh, thanks for having me, Ro. Okay. Yes. Uh, see you on Thursday, where our listeners can listen to both of us on a new wake up call. Thursday morning. See you then. See you then. Okay, bye now. If you want a position, these are my terms and conditions. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
The man them too inconsiderate Five star hotel smoking cigarette Mixing codeine up with a Finnegan Just came in the Aston I'm making that Maybach music They're trying to insult my intelligence Sometimes I may act stupid I never went uni I've been on a campus Selling cocaine to students Dave in Central City The song of the summer really Sprinter uh, we are slightly running for time, so we're going to jump to the next segment, uh, the next feature. I did tell you guys I've been talking to Chris Barry, singer from the 222s, singer from um, 39 Steps. And they were the first band in Montreal, first punk band to come out of Montreal. And uh, Chris just has some incredible stories to tell. So I think we're going to listen to them. Uh, today, I, the bits that I talked to Chris about involve being in the 222s, the first punk band in Montreal, and just about how kind of it was received to be a punk band at the time. And he tells me about the famous, Montreal's infamous first punk riot. Stick around for all of that. I'm doing more and talking less. I love chilling with broke bitches, man. Book one flight and they're all impressed. I'm in the G63. The car hugged me like a friend through twist and turn. What's up, little girls? Call Chow, baby. We wanted, we wanted to change the culture. Honestly. We had big ambitions. to how sort of different you you guys and not only like 39 steps but also the 222s were i kind of want to take it back a little bit and just start with some of that stuff as well because sure. uh, i wanted to know kind of where and how all of that came about because i know you guys said like you said that you were really fond of people like the stooges and also i guess the new york dolls that also comes through a lot um but you guys were so like visually different from a lot of the bands especially Canadian punk bands of the time, where it was like, there were Canadian punk bands who had a really tough image, and the main thing you were supposed to get from their image was that they were tough, intimidating folks, and, you know, you were meant to be either a part of their gang or afraid of them. But the Tutu-Jews had a very different, like, visual thing. Like, there was, even even in the Tutu-Jews, there was, like, a bit of the glam and the, like, makeup and the hair and everything. And you guys definitely stuck out a bit, not just from like Montreal or Canadian punk, but sort of in general as well. So I kind of want to know where that kind of stuff came from and how people reacted to it. Well, you know, it was, it was kind of a uh, an odd dysfunctional mix of characters in that group. Um, you know, they, you know, I was, um, I was just 16 when I joined the group. They'd already been around for about a year. They formed in the summer of 77, and I ran into them in the summer of 78. But they hadn't really done anything. They'd played a couple of local gigs and probably no more than that, you know. But they were one of, you know, there was only a hat. There was, like, maybe three, if even, like, you know, Montreal sort of punk bands. Um, and I just got out of high school, and I sort of had my, my high school band, you know, and, and we played you know, like I wanted to hear dog and songs that I wrote and stuff like that, you know. Um, but it was, you know, it was really, it was a high school band. We were, you know, and these guys were, could really play. They were like, you know, and they were like, you know, they were like, they aspired at least to be a, a pro outfit. Like, you know, I had a manager and they had 
roadies and you know and uh and a record that was coming out you know so it's like you know, this is like the big time you know so you know because of the different characters like louis who was the drummer who was also one of the principal songwriters certainly before i joined up you know he he wanted to be like a pop band like you know like uh like bubblegum pop like appealing to 13 year olds and stuff and pierre was also pretty very key uh member of that group who also wrote a lot too you know he was more from like sort of like the alice cooper group school um mc5 uh so sort of that detroit sound whether you realized it or not that was kind of where he's coming from and me i you know i've been you know i mean i've been weaned on the music of the 60s like the beatles the kinks rolling stones stuff like that uh monkeys by the time i was a you know in grade seven or eight it was you know uh, i discovered david bowie in 1972 i guess or 73 and that led me to lou reed and the stooges and the velvet underground and nico and i really you know leonard cohen was another record i listened to much growing up um the first three leonard cohen records so i i was coming from a another place entirely and then we just sort of threw it all together and you know and, and then have what happened is what happened unfortunately the 222s that was like you know not a lot of recorded material survived and it's too bad because i think a lot of the songs that were never recorded i don't even know if there's live versions of them anywhere were probably among the best but whatever at least something survives even the even the record that came out that was you know that's like a third generation cassette that uh somebody um this uh a dj a local dj who, who i i knew who you know we used to play us and stuff um in the 80s when 39 steps was around he said do you have any 222s material and i did i had a cassette so i gave it to him for, of course i forgot all about it and then i ran into him uh uh, in, in somewhere in you know mid 2000s i guess and he said hey you know and anyways whatever and he had it and he gave it to me and i listened to it and said all right let's let's put it out into the world you know so but i mean even that i was the only person that if he hadn't you know had mentioned that he had it i mean uh, it never would have been never would have uh seen the light of day because no one knew it existed so and they're also so good because I was listening to them this week and it's like for like it's not it's not scrappy punk like there's a lot of punk that just sounded like people kind of throwing some sounds together but this was like there were coherent ideas in the songs and there were like riffs and licks and all that stuff and it was like punk beyond punk in, in well sense. yeah thank thank you but yeah no but, but it's true I mean you know everybody could play um and you know we we um we wanted to be good. <laughs> we rehearsed a lot. We rehearsed all the time. Um, we played a lot. And, I mean, we, boy, did we ever play a lot. Like, we used to do, uh, you know, it was different then, especially here in Montreal, because there was no real scene, you know? I mean, there were people that were into music that wasn't uh, what was being played on the radio and stuff, but although not that many of them. But there was no, like, sort of, like, club, like, you know like a phone electric or something where you know you you know bad you know on tuesday there'd be one band on wednesday be there another band on friday maybe they have a local band there wasn't anything like that around so the only places that we could play were basically i mean outside of like universities and and special events and stuff like that 
were the local bars. So, you know, and the local bars it was only because we were popular and, you know, lots of people came to see us that we could even play them because they, most of the, the people that would go there, they wanted to hear, you know, they wanted to hear the hits of the day, right? And then they get us. We didn't play any hits of the day. We only played our own material. So, you know, I remember we had, like, I, take credit for this, founded this place called The Station 10, which had been, which was a bar on St. Catherine Street that was really sort of run down. It was like nobody went there except basically uh, native, drunk natives, basically, was, was who frequented that bar. And of course, that wasn't, you know, they're not doing particularly good business. So I went in and said, well, listen, you know, I got a band, you know, this set up the back there stage and I, I know people will come, you know. And so it did and, and they did. So they didn't stop having having like you know top forty bands and stuff, and they had us. But we would do four sets a night, like four or five nights a week <laughs> for months, you know. Wow. So we were, yeah, you know. But we were happy to do it. I mean, you know, it'd be like, oh, Sunday night at station ten. Oh, this is the third set. One more to go, and there's like you know twenty people here. Um, but you know, when we were doing that, we were making a living. You know, a very modest one, maybe $75 a week or something. But it was like, okay, well, I'm doing what I want. I look the way I want. I'm not kissing anyone's ass. You know, I'm not working in a warehouse being treated like some piece of shit, you know, for minimum wage. And it's like, okay, you know, and, and I'm able to survive and feed myself. And we all live together. Well, three of us live together in a, in our rehearsal space, basically. But um we were happy, and, and we knew that we were, you know, the more time you spend on stage, the better, right? The better you get. And also working out new material, you know, say, okay, is this new one working out? Well, I'll find out tonight. So, and, and but thank you. Hey, thank you. I mean, you know, we, yeah, we, we, we felt we were pretty good. <laughs> and so did lots of other people. But there was just no way it was going to get big. No way. And before that, we just did sporadic gigs here and there. So, you know, we would play at the CJAP or, or or college or something, or somebody would from the college would put on an event and they would hire us and we would go. And, and then we, you know, we could draw you know, 400, 500 people maybe, which was pretty good given that there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm for the music. The local press, it, when they acknowledged us at all, it was to make fun of us. You know, they just like ridiculed us and stuff like that. So, you know, local radio, they wouldn't play us. They would not even consider playing us. So the fact that we, you know, we had to be fairly good to have as much of a, an audience, you know, limited as it was, but to have as much an audience as, as we did with the 222s. And then wasn't there also that one show that happened at McGill that really kind of erupted? Yeah, that was, my, that, that was my... That was my... I think that was my debut with them. Oh, wow. Uh, that, the Riot. Yeah, well, well, I'll tell you the story. Basically, it was the Montreal's first punk festival. I think it was the beginning of 1970. It must have been 79. You know, and people still didn't really know what punk rock was. They kind of, they'd heard us about Sid Vicious and the Sex Pistols and stuff like this and safety pins and, you know, violence and all this kind of stuff. But... You know, there was really no scene to speak of. It was a big event. A lot of people came out. There was, you know, there's a, a thousand people, maybe more. And people basically just come to sort of like jeer the punk rock freaks. And when we we were the big headliners, 
So when we came on at the end of the night, you know, things were already pretty rowdy. One of the other bands at that time, the chromosomes had sort of sabotaged our gear. That's a whole other story. And of course, if you want to jeer the punk rock freaks, well, we're the best ones because we actually look like something, you know, like everyone else is jeans and t-shirts. And, you know, I mean, I, I I had day glow leather pants and Chairman Mao shirt and Pierre at his zebra striped pants and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So people, if they were looking like at punk rock to ridicule, <laughs> then we were the best example. At, at that evening and this is one of my first gigs ever right i'm just you know i i was recently turned 17 and i don't know you know and uh, it's a big crowd a thousand people all of a sudden in front of a thousand people and most of them are yelling at us and throwing shit all i could think to do was the stooges record metallic ko had come out right around then and in it you hear iggy taunting the audience and you hear glass breaking and stuff like that so I figured, well, in this situation, may as well take from the egg and, you know, rather than back off, say, oh, don't hurt me. We're sorry. Just like taunt people, you know, like, you know, very aggressively taunt people, you know, like, if I get that's right now, you know, and I like to blow you sort of, you know, that kind of thing. Hopefully a little wittier than that. But, you know, and it was, a, you know, a, a stressful situation, to say the least. So uh, I don't think I'd sang a note when I got hit in the head with a big thing of beer. Bang! Like, you know, like, <laughs> and all that stuff. So they cut the PA and then a riot started. It was a big riot. And like, you know, uh, all kinds of damage to the university and the surrounding area. And it was in all the media, punk rock riot, you know. And uh, we were at the heart of it. Our riot just meant that we nobody would book us. We couldn't like for a year. No place would book us or any so-called punk rock group in town. The uh, teenage head thing was eighty, so that means that's at, true. At You're the right. time that it happened, right. it right. wasn't like it wasn't the vile tones. It wasn't teenage head. It wasn't even chromosomes. But the two two twos who were probably the only band at the time who kickstarted an actual riot. You're right, that's true. The teenage head riot was after. That's true. That's true. But it wasn't anything that we wore with pride. It was sort of like, you know, we didn't really have anything to do with it. I mean, okay, yes, I was taunting the audience, you know, uh, and yes, we were on stage when they decided things had gotten out of hand and did the worst thing they could possibly do and turn on the house lights and turn everything off. But, um, it didn't do us any we we had a tough enough time as it was like you know places wouldn't book us uh well, not just us you know but especially us uh in fact the places uh, oh, the only reason anyone ever booked us is because people came to see us you know most of the time <laughs> most of the time it's almost surprising that that didn't do a bit of press on its own for like you guys or for punk and stuff because it's like after i guess this like the the Bill Grundy interview with the Pistols that just blew them up, whether for good yeah. or bad. Like people were still listening because of that. Well, but, yeah, well, and people were paying attention in London, right, at that yeah. time on the Grundy show, and you know, and then of course the media, you know, some lorry driver kicks his TV in and all that stuff. But here, you know, you know, it's very different, right? I mean, you didn't know what was going on. Like we would hear about Toronto bands, but we didn't hear them because they didn't have records we didn't know what they were about like you know 
uh, unless they came to Montreal, and most of them did it. Like Teenage Head came, they played the Nelson, the Biotones came a couple of times. Um, but, you know, and it certainly was not going out of Montreal. Nobody gave a fuck. And, you know, and the, the general consensus, well, if you're from Montreal, you can't be any good. <laughs> you know, and because we did try to uh, carry ourselves with a modicum, at least, of professionalism, we were resented for that. Oh, they think they're so good. They think that they are. They think they're contenders. Well, yeah, we did. We weren't, but we thought we were, or tried to be. You know. So, again, I think and we're from New York. You know, we played Max's Kansas City and all that stuff, and and you know, and and you know, they would write about us like in Flipside in Los Angeles, and you know, certain things here and there. The New Musical Express, The Enemy, uh, reviewed us, and you know, a few things like that. But that just kind of made people mad. <laughs> so you're stuck in this place where you're like too good for punk but not good enough in the eyes of like the the regular press where you're still sort of like scrappy punks but with something different going on yeah no yes that's it it was yeah we we you know and after a while you know the the punks it's sort of like you know because we weren't a, a straight up traditional punk act never were never tried to be we were just us basically you know which you know always was just kind of us we never turned around and said ah these guys that's a great song let's do one just like it or like these guys look like that so we should look like this it was just sort of like well this is just kind of you know how we looked, how we presented ourselves, and you know on the street as as well as on stage or whatever. It was just us, basically, and just nobody ever thought that anyone would ever. Well, and the music wasn't selling. You know, they, were, they weren't playing the Ramones on the radio either. You know, so the you know, and then me. You know, I was pretty um, uh, vivacious, uh, so that you know that that was something to make fun of. You know. And and oh and you know and of course I was very popular with the ladies, so you know they would resent that and make fun of that too. You know, like you know heartthrob, you know punk heartthrob or whatever, which was a bad thing. So it's just you know yeah it was uh, it was not it was not a great time uh, to be doing what we were doing or, or trying to do. Uh, yeah, and it never was. It was like you know Montreal was like. Uh, um, it was, I mean, I guess by the mid '80s, you know, there was sort of like a bit of a scene, like younger bands, like the Asexuals and the Nils and these guys. You know, they started doing stuff and putting out records and touring and developing audiences and stuff like that. But you know, when we were doing it, when, you know, when we sort of launched the scene, which is not really true, but when we were part of it early, early on, when there's only you know, a handful of bands and uh, one sort of pseudo venue, which was also our rehearsal space. It was, it just wasn't taken seriously in the slightest. You know? Also, the the reunion tour that I guess the two to twos did some what ten years ago now with asexuals and people like that. And how did that end up coming about? And like, how did it go down? Because it's like the punk interest just sort of in like you said, coming and going in waves. Right? Well, John Kastner, who had been in the asexuals and uh, and the Doughboys, um, is a 
pretty good friend of mine and has been for a long time. And he um, he put together the North by Northeast uh, Festival. Um, like he was, the, you know, he's coordinating all that. And then he did Canada Music Week and, you know, he's involved in all that shit. So um, John um, suggested that we do this, do a gig uh, with Pop Montreal. I think Pop Montreal, I think that was the first one. Um, that we do a gig with them, you know, uh, to do a reunion gig. And I didn't think it was going to be possible because, you know, uh, nobody was on particularly good terms and, you know, and, and like, you know, not everybody is mentally stable, you know. I mean, I, I know, I'm not even saying that as a diss. I'm saying that as reality. So, yeah, get the band man together. But miraculously, we kind of did. And, you know, since, like always with the two two twos, if we're going to do it, um, you know, we want to do it well, right? Like, you know, if we're going to, like, you know, get together and, and, and do a gig, a reunion gig, 10 billion years later when we're all old men, um, it's like, well, it better be good, <laughs> you know? So we rehearsed and, you know, and those guys, you know, are always good musicians. So, you know, so we, we did that and it went over... Yeah, we went over very well. And of course, it's fun because it's weird because by this point um, that the Montreal Punk CD had come out and people uh, knew the songs. So that was kind of, you know, that was kind of fun. People singing along. I was like, how do you know that? Amazing. So and of course, you know, the world was a lot more welcoming uh, to, you know, to the kind of thing that we were doing in 2010 than it was in 1978, you know? So that was it. So so then, you know, and then uh, John actually booked us at North by Northeast. We did, I think, kind of one or two nights there. They paid us well on top of everything. Um, you know, put us up at a nice hotel and, you know, all that thing. And everybody, you know, everyone wants to shake your hand and all that shit because they know who you are. You know, so it, it was, you know, it was nice. Um, and you know, seeing people, you know, bored from teenage head and just hang, just hang, you know, it was a fun thing. And um, and you know, and people really liked the two true twos. So yeah, and then then I and then we got asked to do Oceaga Festival uh in Montreal, I think the year after. And uh, you know, we still remembered the material and and the other thing too was like everyone they, they were always paying us well all of a sudden <laughs> we were always just never getting anything so it's like oh shit well wait a minute so i'll do this gig and i'll walk away with a thousand bucks